this morning. I think he just wants to in God's presence. How many of you know he is not? Woo, there you go. How many of you, my son keeps laughing at me. My voice cracks a lot lately. I don't know if I'm going through like a third puberty or something like that. You can let me know. If my beard gets really big, you'll be like, hey, we know what's going on. It's great to have you in the house this morning. And God's not done yet. How many of you know that? There, I, want you, I want, again, to encourage you to raise your expectancy for what he's about to do in your hearts and lives. I have a word from the Lord that I think is key to this time that we are in. Uh, I need my stuff. Because I can preach, but you don't want me to go too long without notes. Because then I'll go too long. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, sir. So if you've been around here long enough, you know that I really love a few things, and I work them into my almost every sermon. You know I love food, right? And we'll, we'll, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table this morning, so we'll work food in. You know that I love shoes, right? God has been faithful to me lately. I've gotten some hand-me-down shoes that are spectacular, the most expensive and amazing shoes I've ever owned in my life, and I love it. So I love shoes, but there's something else I have to admit that I really love. I love clothes. And not just like I like to have like a new shirt or something like that, but I like to have like the right outfit for the right purpose, right? How many of you have had a love affair at some point in your life with clothes? All right, so I'm in good company. How many of you are ready to admit that that has resulted in some questionable choices at times? Right? Some of you look back on your, on your photos from 20, 30, 40 years ago, and you think, what in the world were we thinking? And the truth is this, that we thought we looked pretty good then, didn't we? We thought we were styling it. And there's going to be some stuff that we're going to regret even wearing in 10, 12 years, right? Here's my, here's my hope. My hope is that I never stop progressing. You know how, like, how many of you know, like when you hit middle age, somewhere between like 30 and 60, you stop. Like you're going along with the trends and then you're just like, nope, no more. I found what I'm comfortable with. I'm, I got my uniform. I'm not going to go anymore. My, my prayer is that I never stop, but that I never go so far that you're like, that's ridiculous. Why is a 60-year-old man wearing that? <laughs> but for, my, for my, most of my life, I've really enjoyed clothes, but it's shifted. It's kind of always been there, but it's really shifted to having the right outfit or the right clothes for the right moment um there's a right outfit for everything how many of you are with me on that right if you go hiking there's a right outfit if you go to a wedding there's the right thing to to wear if you go if you're going to work out you got to have the right clothes to work out if you travel you got to have the right clothes for travel if you want to watch movies you got to have your couch clothes on if you want to go you know what i'm talking about if you want to go to a sporting event you got to have the jersey or the right clothes I, i think it's great my son has taken to making sure that all of my all of the rest, my oldest has taken care to make sure that all the rest of my kids have Buffalo Bills clothes, and he lays them out every Saturday night so that they know, they know what, what they're going to wear on Sunday. Some of you think I'm nuts, right? Some of you are with me, you're nodding along like I know what it's like. Some of you think I'm nuts. But the Scandinavians have a saying. They say there's no such thing as bad weather, there's just bad clothing. And what they mean by this is, how many of you know in Scandinavia they, they have more cold and wet and nasty weather than we have even here in Buffalo, New York, right? But they spend a lot more time outdoors as, in general. They spend a ton of time outdoors. And they're not worried about 
wet, inclement weather. They're not like, oh, it's raining or it's snowing or it's doing both or it's sleeting or hailing or, you know. They, they literally dress their children in warm clothes and sleep them outside in the snow because it's good for them. It's good for their immune system. It, and they just say, it, it, you can put your kids outside in slow, snow to sleep and it's not child abuse because you dress them in the right gear. When they go outside hiking, they put on the right gear, and it's not plastic bread bags over their feet in a cheap pair of boots, right? It's not, it's not three pairs of sweatpants to go sledding. Some, some of you are with me, like, this is how you did it. And you realize it wasn't the right gear, because like an hour in, your sweatpants are cold, your feet, have, your feet are so sweaty in those bags that you can barely walk, right? You're getting blisters. It's really not about the cold weather being a problem, it's about having the right type of clothes. Now, everybody who's an outdoor enthusiast is like, yeah, that's right, but the truth is this. That's what happens in the natural, but there's a spiritual correlation to that. Scripture has a ton to say about clothing. Right from the very get-go, Adam and Eve, when they sinned and they found themselves naked in the garden, tried to provide for themselves clothing by sewing fig leaves or leaves together, and God provided more adequate clothing for them by providing them animal skins. When we read about the law being given to the people of God and to Moses, we read about the clothes for the priests and really even down to the fiber content for garments for the people of God. When you read about King Solomon and all his splendor and all his glory ruling over an expanded and powerful Israel, you read in in the midst of that when the Queen of Sheba comes to visit him, Scripture says that the clothing that the servants of Solomon wore brought glory and fame to God. God cares about clothes, and all my fashionistas are like, amen. And then we read in the New Testament that when the New Testament talks about clothing, it talks about the importance of modesty and not adorning ourselves in expensive things, but giving ourselves to Jesus. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say about clothing. You can read several different parables. There's a parable of the wedding feast where he sends uh, servants out to announce a wedding feast and the people that he first uh, invites don't come because they're not ready to come. They don't want to come. Then he sends his servants out again and they gather people from all over the place. And when the master comes in, he sees one wedding guest that wasn't ready for the wedding. He's not in wedding clothes. See, women, you should take that out when it's time to go to a wedding and say, see, Jesus says I should go shopping for every wedding that I'm invited to. That was, a, that, was, that was supposed to be a better joke. <laughs> Sounds like I touched on something there. The king noticed that the man didn't come prepped. He wasn't ready. His heart was not in it. He wasn't there to celebrate. See, clothes in Scripture oftentimes are a metaphor for being prepared, for being ready. And that's, that's literally the, the idea that we have in the natural. If you're going to go out into the elements, you should have the right clothing. Jesus says, spiritually, we should have the right clothing for us. We're in a series called Ready. Last two weeks ago, we talked about being ready for his return. And we talked about the fact that he is coming again. Amen? And that he tells his body to be ready for his coming. He tells each one of us. And he defines ready. He doesn't say, hey, listen, get your guns and get your dry food, and be ready for all of these things. He says literally, his, his, Jesus' interpretation of being ready is this, be engaged in leading and feeding my people. 
He says, be full of the Spirit. And he says, I want you to be advancing my kingdom while you're waiting for me to come. That's how we are ready. And last week we had guest speaker Jared Berry. How many of you are blessed by his message talking about Queen Esther? And, and really boiling it down to Jesus is looking for hearts that are ready. Hearts that are ready to do his will. Hearts that are, are invested in not just accomplishing what we want in the earth, but accomplishing what God wants in the earth. Because ultimately that's what Jesus did. He had a heart that was ready to do whatever the Father called him to do. Today we're going to talk about being dressed and ready. And what does clothing have to do spiritually with our lives? We're going to look at some words of Jesus in Revelation. And as we look at them, it's important to understand that Revelation... The book of Revelation is not simply just a revelation of the things to come. Oftentimes when we read the book of Revelation, it fills us with anxiety because we're trying to say, okay, if this is a metaphor for this, or if, if, is John talking about this, is Jesus saying this, and we try to match it up with the things that are happening in our history or even in our world today, and we're trying to figure out what everything means, and the truth is this, the overarching truth of the book of Revelation is this, it's a revelation not just of things to come, but of Jesus Christ and his glory. It's an opening, an unveiling of our eyes to who Jesus Christ is as the king who's coming again. In fact, at one point in Revelation, I believe it's in chapter 19, uh, John is seeing this amazing revelation of who Jesus is, and he bows down in, in response to it to worship an angel, and an angel's like, no, 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 stop, stand up. You're not supposed to worship me. He's literally saying, don't do the wrong thing with this revelation. How many of you know when we read about future things to come, oftentimes there's a temptation in our heart to do something about it, and we can be off and wrong in our response even to the word of God. And so the, the angel says to John, he says, the essence of prophecy or the, the, the spirit of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus. All of this is being given to us so that we can see who he really is. Not so that we can figure it all out, but so that our hearts can be connected to the real Jesus, to the true Jesus, so that the, the veils that are on top of our hearts are torn away and we can see him more and more in his glory. In Revelation chapter 16, 15, Jesus says this, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me and keeping their clothing ready so that they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Now, was Jesus saying, listen, I want you to have some special clothes set aside in your, in your closet so that if I come back in the rapture, or if I come back to redeem my people, that you have an outfit ready to go? Anybody got their robes set aside? That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about clothes as a metaphor. Most of us in here are not naked, right? Thank the Lord. Jesus was saying, it's better that you are ready and that your clothes are ready so you will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Jesus isn't talking about us being naked spiritually or ashamed spiritually. He's talking about his people being ready spiritually for his return. Because the truth is this, it's possible for even his church to be deceived. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation 3, we have a record of Jesus' messages to the churches in Asia, the seven churches in Asia. It's Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And in chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, we will read part this morning 
of his message to the church at Laodicea. And this is the last message to the last church. And in it, he is outlining to each church what his heart is towards those churches. In other words, the revelation of Jesus Christ and his glory is a revelation first to his church. Why, why is he giving us this book? Why is he giving this revelation to John? He's giving it because he loves his bride and he loves his church and he wants us to hear his heart for his church. And in each one of these cases, he gives a different message to a different church. And here's what he says in Revelation chapter 3, verses 17. He says to the church at Laodicea, you say that I'm rich and I have everything that I want and I don't need a thing. He's speaking to his church. His church is saying, he's saying, this is what you think. But then he says this, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. It's possible for the church, for his body, for his bride, to think it's doing well and to be deceived. It's a deceived place. He says, you think this, but you don't realize. Have you ever been deceived in your life? It's a humiliating place to be, right? Nobody wants to be deceived. But Jesus in his goodness comes to his church and says, you think this, but this is the reality. And in bringing us to reality, he's not bringing us to that reality to shame us. How many of you like admitting that you were deceived? How many, when you were deceived, walked around going, oh, I was deceived. I've walked in deception. Check me out. How you like me now? But the truth is this, when Jesus brings us face to face with deception, he's doing it for our benefit and for our good because he loves us. And so he says, it's possible for you and I, the body of Christ individually and the body together collectively to be deceived. He says it's a sad place to be. He says, you are wretched and miserable. How many of you like those words? How many of you, the last time you ask somebody, hey, how you doing? They're like, up, oh, wretched and miserable. Now, some of us, we don't use those exact words, but that's what comes out, right? How you doing? You're like spiritual Eeyores. Well, okay, I guess. Not much of a saint, more of a sinner today. Like spiritual Eeyore. And yet, Jesus is saying it's possible for us to think that everything's good to go. We're rich. We have everything we need. We're not wanting for anything. But we could actually be in a place that's sad, wretched and miserable. And poor, he says. Poverty often has to do with a lack of power to do something about our situation. And so he says this. The place that you're in is not only deceived. It's not only sad. It's a powerless place. Think about it. If you're hungry and you don't have any money, there's nothing you can do about it right? If you're hungry and you don't have any food in your cupboards, there's nothing you can do about it. You're powerless to change that situation. It's, it's entirely possible for us to be deceived and think we're rich, but actually be poor. And here's the, here's the really crazy part about it. This attack, in all the other letters to the churches, he's talking about spiritual attack coming from the outside. But in the last two churches that he really criticizes in Revelation, you can read it for yourself, These are attacks from the inside. This is an insider job. He doesn't say there's this teaching or there's the enemy coming against you. He literally says, you think you're one way and you're not. And it's an insider job on the work of God 
in our own lives. See, oftentimes we associate the, the work of the enemy with out, exterior forces, and we're always trying to fight something else. We're always, somebody's always against us. But the truth is this, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, often we can fight ourselves when we come to a place where we are spiritually deceived, where we think we're doing all right, and there's something actually wrong. And so let's be the people of God that are willing to face the Lord Jesus in, re- in his revelation and in his goodness and let him be truthful with where our hearts are at. And let's be truthful with him. You guys are looking real sad. This message gets better. But we have to stop and say yes to those places in our lives that don't look like Jesus. We have to recognize them and be willing to bring them to our Lord and Savior because he brings them to us in his goodness because this is a dangerous place to be. It's literally a blind spot. He says, don't you realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and you're naked. It's an exposed place. Most of us do not like exposure. I remember one time, I think I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating. We were in church. I grew up in this church. My dad was the pastor of this church, and how many of you know, even when you're just part of this church, you spent, tend to spend a lot of time here talking to people. When your parents are the pastors of church, it takes like two hours to get out after Sunday. And I remember one Sunday, we were just playing a game of tag with my brothers. But how many of you know if you have brothers, sometimes that game of tag turns a little more violent than it should be? Certainly not appropriate for church tag. And we turned it into a game of tag where you would try to sneak up on the person and slap them upside the back of their head. Like real good, like just whap! out of nowhere. And I remember there's a T, there's a, uh, if, you're, if you're watching online and you don't know, there's a, a long, two long hallways. And my brother was in that long hallway and he didn't see me coming and I came flying down the hall, really silent. And I just went whap right upside his head. And I'm six years older than my brother so I'm sure it looked really bad. To, the, to my Sunday school teacher who watched me do it, who I didn't see in the hallway because she was a little further down the hallway. And the look of horror on her face told me that I was exposed for the jerk that I was. And I was ashamed of that, right? We don't like exposure. We tend to walk away from it. But this place of exposure, this place of nakedness, is a place that we realize there's something that God wants to do for us and in us and something that we can do to be ready to it, to, for it. And so the truth is this. When we're exposed in our spiritual nakedness, we can run away. But I believe that this is a time that God is exposing the spiritual nakedness of his people. For some of us, it's an exposure to the trust that we have in what we think we got. We think we're doing all right. And he's saying, you know what? What you've built your life on is, is, not, is not worth building your life on. We sang this morning, I'll, I'll put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. Some of us have built a hope and a firm foundation in something that we think is Jesus and is other than Jesus. And he's shaking it. This last six to seven months has been a time of shaking. And I don't think he's done with it. And that's not a con- condemnation on his church. That's his goodness saying, I am jealous for you in a way that promotes my love for you. And I want to shake everything in your life that is an anchor that's not worth it. Because I love you. For some of us, it's not just a trust in something else. For some of us, it's absolute outright sin. In Revelation 
3, 4, he says to another church, the church at Sardis, some of you who have not soiled their clothes with evil. We can literally have clothes that are soiled with evil. We can be involved in things that are sinful, and we know that they're sinful, and we walk around pretending that our clothes are white, but they're not. And we keep trying to wash them off with things that aren't the blood of Jesus, trying to make it better ourselves. We're struggling with it, and we think we're doing all right. And he's saying, no, I'm coming back for a bride who has not soiled her clothes with evil. We have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We walk in the forgiveness of God and the purity of Jesus Christ. And so the response when we're exposed is a bunch of different ways. Some of us, when we're exposed, we respond with shame and hiding. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden. They notice their nakedness and they hid. And we've been doing it ever since, right? How many of you ever tried to be in a relationship with somebody and you didn't want them to know something horrible about you? It's a lot of emotional time and energy spent in not being exposed. And God's saying, would you just stop it? He sees it anyway. He came to Adam and Eve and he said, who told you you were naked? He knew what was going on. He's not unaware of what you're struggling with today. You don't have to run with him. For some of us, when we're exposed, we, we try to cover ourselves like Adam and Eve. We sew leaves together and it's inadequate. How many of you ever lived that way? Maybe you're struggling with something and you just, you're like, I'm not going to struggle today. I'm going to be good. So you get up and you make a good cup of coffee and you... Spend some time thinking about it. I'm not going to blow up at my kids today. I'm not going to blow up at my kids today. I'm not going to blow up at my kids today. And then like five minutes into your day, you find yourself doing exactly what you said you weren't going to do. We try to sew things together to keep it from exposing, but God exposes our hearts. So maybe, maybe it's time to stop running away and hiding. Maybe it's time to stop trying to make it up for ourselves. And maybe it's time to start being clothed by Jesus. In Galatians 3.27, it says this, all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. This morning, we have an opportunity in our nakedness, in our exposure, to put on Christ fresh and new. It has happened already for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, but do we really live in the reality of it? If you look at the book of Galatians, specifically around chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's not that Jesus says, or Paul says, hey listen, put on Christ and just keep trying to take care of it yourselves. He literally says it's not try harder. Chapter 4, verse 12, don't just try harder, but putting on Christ fresh and anew is the key to staying free. Chapter 5, verse 1. It's a simple message this morning, and it's literally this. When you find yourself exposed, when you find yourself naked, when you find yourself blind and unable to see the glory of God in your lives, just turn to Jesus. Look at Revelation chapter 3 again, verse 18. Jesus is speaking to the church. He says, you think you're this way, but this is where you are. So he says, so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, and then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you'll not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Debbie, if you come to play, we're gonna respond to what the Lord is saying this morning. Here's what he says. First of all, he's faithful to prepare his bride. 
He says, if you find yourself in this place, come to me. Come and buy from me. And the truth is this. He has everything that we need, and he's given us everything we need to get it. It's like going into a car dealership and saying, hey, I really want a new car. And they're saying, great, I've got a new car for you, and here's all the money to buy it. Jesus is saying, listen, if you find yourself naked spiritually, if you find yourself exposed spiritually, don't try to take care of it yourself. Come to me, and I'll give you everything you need to buy it. He says, first, get gold, purity, true riches, value in what matters. Buy white garments from me. Have you ever had some, like a white shirt, white t-shirts or something that gets washed with other clothes without bleach? And it gets like a little bit gray, right? Just a little bit, a little bit dingy. If you ever tried to bleach it again, you can never get it back to pure white. And Jesus is here to, this morning to say, listen, stop trying to bleach it on your own. Come to me. I got, I got the stuff. I'll give you brand new clothes. For some of you, that's the hope this morning. You've been struggling and struggling and everything's shaking and you don't know what to do with this. And Jesus is saying, listen, will you just trust me to stop living your life, trying to make the life that you're living just a little bit better for me. Would you just come and surrender to me and allow me to wash you clean? Remember, he's not speaking only to those that are outside. He is speaking to his church. Buy ointment for your eyes so that you can see. And he says this, I correct and discipline everyone I love. Look at verse 20. This is a verse that's often used to get people saved. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in. How many of you ever heard that preached before? Give your heart to Jesus. Open the door to Jesus. Who is Jesus talking to in this scripture? He's not talking to those who are outside of the faith. He's talking to his bride, to his church, to the ones who are poor, blind, naked, and wretched, who think they've got it all together. He says, no, you don't, but I'm standing at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. He's saying to his church today, will you let him in? Will you respond to him? Will you allow your heart to be revived for him this morning? Could it just be that simple? I believe that God is bringing revival to his church. And when I say that, some of us think about the great moves of God that have happened in the past. And certainly, I believe we'll see some of that. But I believe that God is not looking to just do the works of the past. He's looking to move on his people today in the current, in this place. He wants our hearts on fire for him. Because he says, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if you hear my voice, if you open the door and let me in, what? I will eat with you. I told you I would work food into this. He worked food into this. And he's not just talking about us having a church meal together. He's saying he wants to have intimate fellowship and relationship with each one of us this morning. He's here to revive his church. And it's not revival of just looking better. It's revival of actual fellowship. It's time to open the door to renewed relationship. It's time to open the door to revival. It's time to open the door to victory. He says... What does he say? To those who are victorious, they will sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. 
He's inviting us not only to relationship but to victory. He's coming back for a bride that's destined to sit on the throne with him. And you don't have to do more to get it right. You just have to come to him. Allow your heart to be renewed. So can we do that this morning? If you have your communion cups, would you grab them? We celebrate an open communion, which just simply means this. If your heart has been surrendered to the Lord, he's the Lord of your life, you are eligible to partake with us. But in doing this, this is not just some religious act whereby we get grace for this week. This is a reminder of the intimacy of our God who took on human form, who came and lived a sinless life, who invited us into relationship with him. And it's a declaration that he's coming again. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it into pieces. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and man. An agreement confirmed in my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we announce the Lord's death until he comes again. He is purifying his bride. And he's clothing us fresh and new. Jesus, we thank you for your body which was broken and your blood that was given to confirm a new covenant where we would be washed clean, that we would not have a righteousness in ourselves, but we'd have a righteousness in you. And so we celebrate what you did for us this morning. And we proclaim your death that was enough to bring us in, and we proclaim that you are coming again. We worship you as you renew the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. Jesus, we thank you not only for the faithfulness of what you did, but your faithfulness to continue to renew your people, to revive your people, to wash your people clean. We open the doors of our heart to you today. We say yes and invite you in. We say yes to your promise to come in and be with us and to transform us and to renew us. We say yes to revival we say yes to renewed hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Jake's coming now to close us out. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together for the Lord. His